The date is Friday, September 19th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. Fantasy is a genre of literature made famous for its expansive worlds, relatable characters, and deep understanding of the hero's journey. For that reason, it's no surprise that the fantasy genre has gained an almost cult following with its many books and even games like Dungeons and Dragons. But with fans of anything, so too comes Hollywood, looking to make a quick buck off our favorite stories. So listen in today as Michael walks us through the good, the bad, and the ugly of fantasy Hollywood adaptations. And enjoy! Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to your favorite show on the internet, encapsulating all things entertainment. Let's entertain this. Entertain this. This week on the show, I have some exciting news, and it's unfortunate that this is an audio-based podcast, because um, we actually got something really interesting in the mail, and I'm, I'll talk about it, but I can't show it, obviously, because this is um, a an audio platform. But uh, we've gotten a, a weird package from a fan of the show from, uh, from, from far off lands of Quebec in, in the white cold, if you would. Uh, he says he's some sort of an inventor uh, and claims inside of this box is a time machine, which I think is wild. But Interesting. So let me get it out of the, get it out yeah, of the box yeah, yeah. real quick. I'm just going to hold on. Let me see if I can. Surprise. Okay. Like it didn't come um, it just came in like a cardboard box. Just cardboard box. Oh, oh. oh there's uh it's, there's some uh there's some like 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 paper that's that's wrapped around it to protect it, I guess. Let me just mm. get that off there. Okay, that's <laughs> that's gone. Uh okay, here it is. Yeah, it's it's a metal box. It's got some buttons on it. And let me see. Just kind of put in a random. Just demoing this thing like live. (laughs) Just trying it. Is that okay? Podcast. Yeah. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. I'm gonna hit this big red button. Are we good? Yep. Yep. Okay. Here it comes. What? What? Ah! Oh no! Are we okay? Are we all okay? Yeah. I think uh, I lost my arm. Oh, oh yeah, no. you're, you're just like it's not even bleeding. It's just like as though we're never there. It's just yeah. like a, a nub no, now. It's gone. That's wild, man. I'm sorry that happened oh. to you. This is a. It seems like a fine place. Uh, it's pretty wooded and kind of like a rainforesty area. It's hot. It's kind of humid here. I know. I chose a bad day to wear a sweatshirt. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess we're just gonna kind of continue on with the episode now and hope that this doesn't impact us later on. All right, all right, yeah. Hmm. I'll just try and uh, forgive any sounds of swatting mosquitoes throughout the the podcast. Yeah, it's weirdly oh. quiet in this forest, though. Like, there's no sound of forest at all. We're just here, no. and you have to believe us, which is wild. It is pretty crazy how it, like, took our entire, like, recording setups with us. Yeah. Like, it's just incredibly convenient. Yeah, and we're all recording remotely, mind you, so... Mm-hmm. It took our whole computers with us, and we're actually not together. We're, like, a far distance away from each other. Yeah. So, anyway, that's the bit for this week. Michael, do you cool. have an episode for us? Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, 
I just wanted to to I've, I've been consuming a lot more media lately uh in, in good for in you. my my uh preferred domain of uh fantasy inspired series whether dating that be simulators no oh, no senior stream list uh, no. simulator 2020 <laughs> monster dater 42. <laughs> Oh gosh, um, Madden twenty three. No, I don't know it. if that one's a dating uh, sim. That one is an incredibly complex dating sim. They keep, <laughs> they keep releasing. It's like this. They, be, they keep sim. releasing. It's a dating it's, sim, but you really have to make the story yourself. Like it is yeah, not clear yeah, yeah. at all. Yeah, I mean that's the entirety of what the like my career part of that game is. It's, <laughs> it's just, a dating sim, but it never seems to work out in your favor. No, no, unless you like set it to like rookie mode, and it's just ugh. everybody wants. What's you. the point then? What's yeah. the point? Um, Absolutely. But no, uh, no, I've not been playing more dating sims. I've been doing things like reading fantasy books and watching fantasy movies and playing fantasy games, Alex. So much cooler than dating sims. Uh, oh, that's just a boldface lie, but continue. There's <laughs> no winning. Here. Why do you lie um, to us, Michael? Come on. <laughs> you know, like, you can't just, just can't make this. I'll do my best, man. Um... No, so I, I I've been tr consuming like the the entire spectrum of different series. Uh, most recently, I've, I I talked in the past on this podcast about The Witcher. It was more recent to when the first season of The Witcher came out on Witcher. Netflix. I barely know her. <laughs> Thanks. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, and alongside of that i'm rereading the original like the witcher novels and playing the witcher games uh, all at the same time just all uh, consuming all of the witcher content that i can right now and the thing that i'm kind of piecing together and something that i've noticed in the past as well um is how shitty of a job hollywood in general does at adapting fantasy stories um especially when compared to the original works um and i kind of wanted to like this is just a phenomenon that i've noticed and not one that hasn't been talked about in the media before it's definitely like any passionate fan of any original work is gonna gonna throw stones and curse at the sky at any bad adaptation so you've all heard about how some of this stuff is just not that good but i feel like i wanted to like take a step back examine alongside my two wonderful co-hosts here uh what exactly a good and a bad adaptation is for a fantasy series and i just hope you can listen along with us and just entertain this Yeah, so this is music <laughs> on top of music, and it's awesome. Um, I want to define fantasy first because there's so many adaptations out there. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm in the right ballpark when we start playing ball. So, yeah. what exactly do we mean to fantasy to that extent? Yeah, so for me, when I was thinking on this subject, I was thinking of like the more like more popular like medieval. Uh, medieval fantasies like what well, can range from low to high fantasy um, like so as an example like Lord of the Rings I would consider like medium 
medium to high fantasy. Um, I consider like The Witcher like more of a low to medium fantasy, and uh, like Game of Thrones would be more of like a, a low fantasy that then like slowly becomes mid fantasy. So we're now, talking D- like D and D. Yeah, like D and D esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're yeah, talking yeah. like we're talking like dungeons, dragons, bars. You know, perhaps yeah. mead. If you would, <laughs> tavern maidens? here, there, fair maidens, oh, touch some grass. Maidens. They're fair maidens, yeah. <laughs> Those who are you maidenless. That's <laughs> <laughs> so one of my favorite things that I, I'm so glad stuck with you from the Elden Ring episode. Yeah, people can be maidenless, and y'all need to touch some grass. Like yep. those are those have become societal staples that I get to participate in strictly because of Michael's interference in my life. I love it. I love I love my horrible uh, influence that I've had on you. It's great. Um, but no, so th- those are like really the three examples that I wanted to take a look at. And a lot of this is kind of like just looking at it from the holistic perspective of where these works come from. All of them come originally from books, from single authors that then get run through the process of Hollywood uh, to be output to us in whatever way. Uh People on different boards and directors and writers get to choose is the best way for us. Um, Yay. Yeah. So are are there like, so those are the three that I want to talk about, but are there any sort of like when I, when we talk about this topic of, I, I couldn't think of a better word for it, but Hollywoodification of, uh, of a series or a, an original work that you two know of that comes to mind that has irked your gears in the past are you talking about fantasy in general or can we expand to the you can expand i i think for what i want to for like for for my stuff i want to talk about is more fantasy focused but yeah if there's like just a bad adaptation that y'all can think of like is there any that immediately come to mind yeah the percy jackson for sure oh yeah Mm. that's bad uh, but but I'm sorry, I interrupted Pat rudely. What was yours? I was just gonna say Marvel in general. This what? like they do they have over Ooh, that is a what? contentious topic. <laughs> we could get into this later in just its own episode. Do we need but... to do another Marvel episode? Because we've done I think, cause so we've, many. We've, we I think because we've got a new perspective now that's apparently full of just that's apparently all the wrong, spice, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't we know need to that. we we need to hash it out because I feel like at a fundamental level this this podcast operates on a respectful basis of liking okay, Marvel so, movies. <laughs> so I like Iron Man. Like you can't say that RDJ isn't the ideal person for that character, mm-hmm. as well as Captain Marvel. But as they've continued and grown the series, they've just, I guess to me they've stayed not as true to some of the, the comics and the original source material. And they've kind of just made stuff up like uh, black Panther, for example, he was all about Uganda and staying. And that's all he cared about. Like he would have never opened up Uganda to everybody. Like that's just not his personality. Chadwick Boseman, perfect actor. I mean, you can't, you couldn't have sourced, you know, made a better character. I'm just saying with we the can't writing talk about of the material. This. I can't rebuttal this because it's not that episode, but this episode is, <laughs> this will be next week's episode. <laughs> this is, sorry, it's confirmed now. This is what we're talking about next week. Is It's just Alex versus Patrick. Can I make Patrick like Marvel? <laughs> by explaining, like Marvel. A, by explaining away the problems that he has. 
I'm literally wearing a Deadpool shirt right now, so you can't say I don't like Marvel. I want to talk about I'm MCU. Just... I want to talk about the okay. MCU. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll get you on all board right, with right. what the MCU is doing. That'll be next week. It'll be oh, changing your it. heart. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I don't agree with Patrick. That's a good adaptation, but whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I will say that Lemony Snicket's has had a number of adaptations, and some mm-hmm. of them are good, and some of them are not good. That is so, another yeah, that is another good example. Yeah. Which which one did you like? I liked the one with Jim Carrey. Yeah. It was darker, more grittier, a little bit more Tim Burton esque. I liked it a lot more. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. that yeah. So I think like the commonality there is from like a bad adaptation in my mind when it comes to like all these examples, even including a bit of like Marvel to a certain degree. Uh, even though I do disagree fundamentally with your your, your point, Pat. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Agree to disagree. The core fundamental part here is like ad- ad- adapting an original work to a completely different medium is very difficult. It is a very hard thing to do. Um, and no one expects for any like hollywood producer or writer or whoever's in control of these sorts of things to look at like a book like lord of the rings for example as like a good a good adaptation uh take a look at like the those novels and be like yes we need to create a one-to-one adaptation of these books to the silver screen it's fundamentally an impossible thing to do you're working in a whole different medium where your actual ability to visualize a space becomes a reality no longer exists within a reader's imagination and because of that aspect adaptations are hard however where people start to have problems with adaptations in my mind is when the when writers and producers try to insert their own ideas of what will make a work more popular to make more money and you can take that however you will. I have a good uh, example. Yeah, I, there's tons of great examples of this. Um, but but one that on. kind of hits close to home for me is uh, Ghost in the Shell. <laughs> the live adaptation where they were like, you know what? We could make this legitimate or we could make Scarlett Johansson the main character mm-hmm. and make mm-hmm. more money. Yeah, well, and that's that's a perfect example of like one of the ways that Hollywood will poorly adapt a work it's like ghost in the shell is a perfect example because you have the original like movie that uh the whole premise of it is like yes these are robots these are cyborgs in japan in a future like nihilistic version of japan where the main character misato uh is a uh a cyborg that was transitioned that was created specifically to be a police officer but the base model is meant to be almost like a model uh like the that was like the base inspiration of the model that she was and it was like supposed to be based off of every description that we've ever had uh like very japanese in nature like she is supposed to look like a hot japanese lady whether that like for whatever reason that is in the original works that's just how it is so yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got so, a hot star with Johansson, though. I mean, and that's the thing is like, I can 
it's one of those cases where I can partially understand. You take the core concept of this character is supposed to be hot. Ergo, ergo, get the hottest famous actress that we can find and who we can who will take the least amount of money for it. Scarlett Johansson. There you go. She's hot. She's hot. She gets the job done. She's not then, Japanese. Something, something, something. <laughs> yeah. A cultural appropriation. Something, something. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just tons and tons of examples of that. And, like, that's kind of what I wanted to go through on a on a level of offense basis. I wanted to start off light and work our way to uh, more and more upsetting. Oh, so this topic comes from like the powerhouse of entertain this which is something pissed you off yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's get <Yeah>. to that <laughs> so that's how this podcast was founded because something pissed us off and we wanted to talk about it yeah, yeah, yeah um so for me like one of the core facets of and i'll go as far to say like as how spider-man is to your personality alex hmm? L- lord of the rings is my equivalent to your spider-man i want to be uh, clear I was the way I was, and then I found Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not the know, other way I around. I know. In in very much the same way of like how I, wa- I was the way I was, and then I found Lord of the Rings, and I was like, oh, I fucking love this, and I'm attaching so much of myself to this. <laughs> was it because you found it after already loving having two, uh, two breakfasts? I do, f- I do go for a good like eight square meals a day. God bless. Yeah. But no, for me, it was like I grew up in like an era like we all grew up in generally the same era. But like for us growing up, fantasy, fantasy inspired things were kind of always around us, whether it be Star Wars or it be like the video games we played, like I like even playing like Super Mario uh, or Legend of Zelda is a great example. It's like there's these different pieces of media that are all fundamental parts of our childhood that all stem from a fantasy background and as soon as i saw lord of the rings it was like oh this is like the culmination of all of these concepts thrown into one executed in the most perfect way granted i didn't know at the time that it was like a 60 year old 60 to 70 year old book series that is what originated most of these ideas right but it was like at the time I was like, oh my god, this is everything I've ever loved in all of my favorite things, and it's so good. Um, and it's just like, and the more that you learn about it, as far as like going back and reading the old Lord of the Rings books, you learn that it's actually an incredibly faithful adaptation. There's lots of stuff that had to be cut because those books are long as shit, and no one really enjoys hearing Tolkien describe the bark of trees for three pages in a row. I understand that not everyone's cup of tea, but it gives us a really good picture of what exactly was laid out for these films and executed really, really well. And the core tenet of why these books or why these movies did such a good job at, at adapting the movie or the books, sorry, oh, um, is because at its core, it was faithful to the people who already loved it. Um, these books were great. They were staples within the genre and people love them for very specific reasons. And because of that, if you execute on those very same reasons when adapting to the film, it's going to do well. It's going to hit and it's going to resonate with those same fans that already do love it. And if there's one thing that 
fans are of fantasy series are really fucking good at it is talking about the shit that they love incessantly mm-hmm. that's free marketing baby that's free marketing baby <laughs> yeah. i mean we're making a podcast right now so you're all welcome yeah um and so we take this idea of something that was a really really good adaptation and let's switch that over to something very similar that was not as great of an adaptation of the same in, thing of the same thing the hobbit the hobbit you movies you can't you can't just like sm- you can't just do that on the hobbit man the hobbit was great i th- i thought it was a good here's movie. the thing i thought they were good movies yeah. but the thing is the expectation was already set the lord of the rings movies are on a whole nother level they are yeah. for me and I know a lot of other people out there, they sit on the pantheon of godship for fantasy movies, just on a whole nother level. And the I thing mean, is, it, it basically launched the genre. I mean, a bunch of books yeah. are, can be attributed to the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I mean, so. like if, if we're looking at this all from a, like how this genre has progressed through the years, like, Lord of the Rings broke the fantasy glass ceiling that existed for the genre for something being able to like do so well in the box office as it did. Like fantasy was always seen as this niche genre outside of random successes like uh, like Star Wars. Like compare that to the traditional winners of multiple awards like like Apocalypse Now or another great example la la land um where these are movies that are tailor-made to the general audience remove all that shit (laughs) throw in orcs ents sauron wizards hobbits elves a ring golem all this weird shit that like most people are not gonna like empathize with unless they've already been attached to similar things you got a recipe for what should have been a box office failure, but ended up shattering the the ceiling of the genre and just launching the entire genre into a new era of possible financial success. I want to speak briefly on the differences between The Hobbit and lord of the rings though yeah because i don't think adaptation is at what's questioned here interesting Um, the reason being and maybe i'm wrong because maybe they did just do a bad adaptation but i want to throw this out there as well just to be thinking about is that what was appealing about lord of the rings was this large group of people who have incredible on-screen chemistry and off-stream, off-screen chemistry mm-hmm. yeah. that was almost, um, it, it, it was, you know, it was magnetic. You wanted to be a part of it. You wanted to be there. You wanted to be in that adventuring party. You wanted mm-hmm. to experience what they were experiencing. And at the same time, those actors were actually really good friends who were all, like, wild and crazy on the outside as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, The Hobbit isn't that. No. At its core, it it is a different product being made because it's not the come and experience this adventure with a bunch of friends. It is, hey, you guys remember that adventure with a bunch of friends? Here's the old man that happened before that. 
Well, it, I, I disagree with that. Like the entire premise of The Hobbit is supposed to be this journey of Bilbo with this group of dwarves that are all supposed to be essentially already family. Uh, that the Bilbo is just kind of the odd man out and he's supposed to be the device that you learn about this world through and, and these, these dwarves and these people. Um, for me, I, I see it more as like, and I want to clarify, I don't think the Hobbit is a straight up bad adaptation. I think it's better to qualify it as a meh adaptation. It just missed the mark of well, what people were expecting. And also uh, to that point, it wasn't the Hobbit was written first. Am I correct? Yeah. Yeah. So background yeah. information: uh, Tolkien wrote the Hobbit, and it's a children's story. Um, he wrote that uh, as an adaptation of the stories that he would tell his son while uh, basically like reading him to sleep. Yeah. These were just the stories that he told his son that he adapted into a novel. Um, and this is actually kind of funny considering the topic. Uh, the Lord of the Rings was supposed to be a completely separate set of works from The Hobbit, was not supposed to share a world at all. Um, and that's why when we talk about like the One Ring in the case of like The Hobbit, it's never talked about as like the One Ring. It's used as just like a small little like plot device for his meeting with Gollum. But when he went to go pitch the Lord of the Rings books uh, to different publishers, the publishers were like, no, we don't want this new series. We want more of The Hobbit. Ah. Can you give us more of The Hobbit? People love The Hobbit. Give us more of The Hobbit. And so Tolkien was just like, you know what? Fine, I'll give you more of The Hobbit. Here's this one small detail from The Hobbit. Now it's the entire plot device for my next three books. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> And it's funny because technically the Lord of the Rings is a Hollywoodification of the original Hobbit. Like it was, it's an adaptation and a further continuation. It's a compromise. Of the, yeah, it's a compromise. Yeah. And uh, and that's I guess like maybe the word I've been trying to use for Hollywoodification. Like a lot of it is copy uh, compromise. It's it's yeah. And so, that's where like I, I think. Go ahead. I was going to say, so back to my original point with The Hobbit and how it was made, the movie, that is. Um, Lord of the Rings is this huge success, and Hollywood was like, forget The Hobbit. We don't need to talk about The Hobbit. We're just going to make Lord of the Rings. This is what the, where the money's at. So Lord of the Rings became the centerfold for this giant fandom who loves Lord of the Rings, right? Yeah. By the way, Lord I of think the Rings isn't that old like no it came nah. out in the early 2000s it's not uh, that remember, old like it's oh well, it's 20 years old at this point yeah um, <laughs> it's it's maybe a little old but not that old yeah well the, th the i think the good way to like look at it is that uh lord of the rings not only became like the center point of a giant fandom it became the center point of the entire fantasy genre for and ge for for a, over a decade understand we mean not the movie book i mean the movie in the case in which michael's speaking but the book yeah. really did launch a thousand ships it um did. i mean it started D D because it had a huge fandom behind it and that's what hollywood was trying to cash in on when they made the mm -hmm. movie it's the yeah. same as how they're making a D D movie now yeah. um but of course they are yeah of course they are but what i what i'm saying is <laughs> if making an adaptation is a cash grab 
because it is, then making a sequel or even a prequel, especially of that same adaptation, is going to be even worse than the first almost every time because yeah. it is a you more can... it is a more desperate cash grab. I, I I agree with you to a certain point, but I feel like the core tenant underlying that is how much respect they actually put into the original work in that adaptation. I agree. And usually the first go is the strongest. Usually. And that's where The Hobbit is such a disappointment. It's still a great movie. Like, it is a good movie, but it's a disappointment nonetheless. Um, As Just as an example, um, this this is mostly apparent within um, the second movie, Desolation of Smaug. Um, Smaug. Smaug. with Benedict Cumberbatch. Yep. And most people will already know what I'm going to talk about with this. Um, really, it comes down to like the most disappointing part of it was the unnecessary introduction of a love triangle, a very odd and strange love triangle between Keeley, who is purposefully the hot dwarf, hmm. uh, with Toriel played by Evangeline, Evangeline Lilly, uh, an elf, uh, and Legolas, who was never even in The Hobbit, the original book. Huh. What's uh, what's his name, the actor for that? Uh, Orlando Bloom. Bloom, yeah. Yep. Orlando de Bloom. Yep. And it's this, to me, is just kind of like the, the, the perfect way to dip our toes into the concept of Hollywoodification. Uh, it's this I, this idea of Hollywood trying to compromise to a wider audience than what the original work is intending to reach. Uh, and it's in this case, it's like the whole idea of like, we must introduce a romantic aspect to uh, this story. So that way, anybody who is not a fan of all this other stuff that would bring them to this movie, it gives them something to work with, something to look forward to. It's like you already had a huge audience. You already had all the hype in the world. You already had everyone looking forward to it. And at the end of the day, adding a love triangle drama situation to an otherwise uninterested story isn't going to pull anyone extra into it. It's only going to detract from what was already there. So this was adaptations light. It's so the thing is with any adaptation, you're going to have different pieces introduced and taken away um, just by the nature of it being someone else's version of a work. Uh, This is a case of a Hollywood studio saying, Hey, this seems great and all, but you know, we've got to appeal to this other subsection of people that aren't otherwise going to be interested in this movie. Let's drop a love triangle in here. Yeah, no, I mean, adding in any sort of a love triangle is like a classic move in the Hollywood handbag because the idea is if we make this sort of bro-y movie romantic, then suddenly it becomes fun for the whole family because women love romance is their idea. Yeah, which is why you see like random romance thrown yeah. into plots that don't yeah. need it. Right, and it kind of comes back to the whole idea of it's like I get the general concept of like 
men like fantasy and fighting and the war stuff and women like we like dating simulators too damn it yeah (laughs) (laughs) at the end of it it's like everybody generally most people no matter what their gender are fucking love lord of the rings and fucking love the hobbit let when they've seen the work (laughs) yeah it's like let, let the work stand on its own merits at what it's good at like, don't, like, try and throw your own spit on this and try and make it into something that it, like, is is not. Granted, this is a very light version of this. Like, it relatively, it doesn't take that much away from the movies. It's it's still, like, and, like, and this kind of goes back to what you were saying, Pat. Like, it, they are still very good movies, but that's all despite these aspects. Uh, despite the weird love triangle that that just has no actual service to the actual outcomes of the movie. Um, so okay, I, so Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. That's those are adaptations to which you're saying they are annoying, but they don't piss you off. Does it get yeah, worse? I think Lord of the Rings, <laughs> great adaptation. The Hobbit, and uh, there's a little bit here that just make makes me a little makes upset. You a little, it makes you a little bothered, but not. But too it's much. like, hey, like I'm still happy to have more Lord of the Rings in my life. Like yeah, of I'm, course. I'm happy about that. So let's move so on to my many, most. Re- hold on, how many steps are there? How many steps? We have into two this more. Round? Two more. There are two. Right. Okay, so there's, so there's. I'm okay with this. Ad- I like this adaptation, and then there's. I'm okay with this adaptation, and then there's this adaptation bothers me, and then there's this pisses me off. Those are the levels yeah. that we're going down, and now yep. we're currently on this adaptation bothers me. That's where. We're yeah, at. like okay. this. This one upsets me, but I'm not ready to go scorched earth on it yet. Right. Um, yeah. This is where we come back to The Witcher. Uh, Happy birthday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the Witcher is, as I've talked about in a previous episode, way, 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 way back uh, in our original, in our first year of recording. Do we get to be um, mean to Henry Cavill today? No, you dare. Uh, How you dare do, you? Why would you ever? I was going to say, please do not. Okay. He's, uh, and this is, if there was one man I'd leave my wife for, that'd be him. Yeah. I just I just want to I would just want to sit in a hot sweaty room and build PCs with that man paint some Warhammer figure exactly. anyways uh, we're if, talking uh, about if, this, if, is, this is a fantasy episode if, um. if there was a Hollywood adaptation of uh, Pat's life Henry Cavill could play Lauren he would even have them CGI out his facial hair to do so mm. exactly see what I did see what yep. I did does <laughs> the mustache get it Yep. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, the Witcher series, as I talked about, is originally a book by an author named Andrzej Sapkowski uh, from Poland. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was not like ever like it was an extremely popular novel in Poland, but didn't really have a lot of international outreach until the Witcher games. Uh, the Witcher games were made by CD Projekt Red, Save People Behind Cyberpunk. Um they used to make very good games. Ugh. Unclear now. Um, Owie. But, uh, and all their fame kind of started with the Witcher games. They're fantastic adaptations of the characters, not necessarily the stories uh, of the original novels. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about the Netflix series, which was explicitly stated to be a closer adaptation to the novels than the games were. Um it's generally okay. Uh, it's good to hear. I, 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 I do enjoy the TV show, and it's like I'm not like I, I'm. 
I, I, I did enjoy my time actually watching the, the two seasons that are out now. Um, granted, the more I looked back at the books and read how these stories originally played out, I think ultimately the series did a huge disservice to the original works. Um, the games as well, by the way. The, uh, yeah, they're not. They don't really follow the games at all either. So. Yeah, no. The, the game. The games basically take the characters from this. Yeah. The, the books and are just like cool. We like these concepts and this world and these characters. We're gonna make our own story. Um, it's basically the games. Uh, but the the Netflix series takes the so I'll back up. The first two books in the Witcher series are a series of short stories turned into novels um so a lot of the different chapters and books in or stories inside of these books are individually pieced together um stories and there's not there's like some overarching narratives that are what connect the individual stories together um but there's never like a whole through line like a plot through line through the entire uh, through an entire novel until the like third and fourth books. Um, the Netflix series is explicitly supposed to be adaptations of the first two books because that's all that there really could fit into two uh, like 12 episode seasons. Um, so we have our, in case anyone doesn't know, you have our titular character, the Witcher Geralt of Rivia. Uh, he is the main protagonist of the books. Uh, you have uh, another character. These are just the three most important characters. You have first uh, off, Yennef- shout out, shout out to our Witcher episode. If you haven't listened to it and you yeah. want this information in a bit more detail, Michael hosted an episode on the Witcher a while back. You can go yeah. check that out. And in that one, I explicitly that is an episode explicitly about the world and lore of the Witcher. Yeah. So go go check that out if you don't want this shitty diet version. Here's a TLDR. Uh, TLDR, you got Geralt, he's a witcher. Witcher's a weird word. I get it. It basically just means man witch. Um, you got Yennefer. Man witch. Yeah. They couldn't man-witch. do man witch. It was it was it was trademarked. Of course they couldn't do man witch. So that's just warlock. No, 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 no. Not the same, my it's friend. It's a man you witch. Have, you have not played enough D and D, my friend. No, uh, no, I'm not. I uh, am the man witch. Witcher actually comes from so Witcher comes from the term those people that like go with the the light the rods and stuff and look for water. That's where the Witcher comes from originally. That terminology. Well, kind of, kind of, kind of. So. Yeah, Witcher. Pat. So you gotta well, go. That's the real life. Well, like, the thing is, you gotta go get back it. You even can further Google. than that. You gotta go way further back than that. Um, I talk about this in the episode, but it's an interesting thing, so I'll right. talk on it briefly. Um, Witcher is actually the uh, predominant, the the primarily male role, uh, male counterpart to witch, in very much the same way that widower is the male counterpart to widow. Um, it is meant to go back to original hunter gatherer roles, uh, in more, uh, ancient times where witches were meant to stay at a specific place, like set ground, like set their roots, uh, perform like almost like the motherly deeds around their communities. Colors. Um, yep. Uh, and then you have the witchers. Those were supposed to be the ones who went out the ones who leave the settlement to go hunt to go uh, do these things where witches were much stronger in um 
their actual ability to use magic, uh, ability to heal, um, because their they their skill set had to be more of like a utility focus. Uh, Witchers, their entire focus is on their ability to kill, ability to track, ability to hunt, and ability to kill and bring their prey home. Um, that's the original root uh, definition and like original origins of Witcher. Weird fucking word. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just a, it's just a little bit. Yeah, you know, Witcher. I barely know her and whatnot. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, you know. I think yeah, we've we've only used that joke specifically with the term Witcher. I think six or seven times across multiple episodes of this podcast. Six or I um, barely know her. Oh my god. Seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's one that's one of the main characters. We've got two more. We got uh Yennefer who is supposed to be Geralt's love interest. She's supposed to be the a, a one of the most powerful sorceresses in this world. Um and is yeah, supposed to be like a completely different side of the coin from Geralt. Um and then you've got Ciri. Ciri is a small girl who is um promised to uh, Geralt, not in a like romantic sense, not yeah. in a weird way, but in a like, she is going to become essentially Geralt's apprentice um, daughter, basically. Yeah, it's the easiest <laughs> way to put it. Like he is pro- he he is essentially made a promise with destiny yeah. that he will take care of her. Um, and the. Just to give you an idea, the entire main uh, ideas of the first two Witcher novels are surrounding the ideas of seeing Geralt performing his Witcher duties, um, facing moral dilemmas. It's him fighting, killing monsters, running into people, and it's the whole idea of, oh, are people the real monsters? Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's like, pretty yeah, pretty much. Um, and... But also to go along with that, the one overarching theme across these books is the idea of destiny. Um, what does destiny mean? And how does destiny, if destiny does exist, how does it affect someone who basically spits at destiny? Someone who doesn't give a shit about it. Uh, someone who says that the only destiny there really is in life is for everyone is destined to die. Um, what happens then? And it's this exploration of this nihilistic character who wears that on his sleeve and continue and seeing this, his process of growth through understanding that destiny is this actual real thing. Um, so let's take that to the, the adaptation, the Witcher Netflix series. First off, Geralt is the main character. Almost all of what we see in the books is from, like, Geralt's... It's not his perspective, it's third-person perspective, but he is the main focus, and most of the time it's following Geralt around. Um, the Netflix series decided to pull a... A, a, a witcher oh, Nope. <laughs> uh, uh, more of a Game of Thrones here. Uh, like, wanted oh, to... they made him have it a follows sister. Multiple t- they... Have. They nope, no, not that bad. Multiple characters. Yep, the multiple character perspective narratives. All right. <laughs> um, and along with that, they decided to take things in a weirder direction. On top of that, 
let's go ahead and mix timelines Time without lines. ever clarifying when shit is happening. No. I was so confused on what was going on the whole entire time. Yep. I'm like, what is what is going on? Yep. Like, once it gets solved and figured out, it's like, oh, okay. Now which, like, this all makes sense. Which, like, I partly understand it. And that is something that is, like, this is one of those aspects that is a a uh, truthful adaptation, but a bad adaptation. It's, mm. like, a, a an aspect of the original stories that does not translate well to the adaptation. Uh, it also doesn't help that Geralt doesn't age, so you really can't tell right. the whole thing. Well, him, him <laughs> and Yennefer, the sorceress, yeah. the, one of the whole aspects of their characters is they can't age. Like, yeah. they physically do not age. Right. Um, which makes it really confusing, like you said. Uh, but the original books, they do, because they are a bunch of short stories, the timeline is not super clear on, like, what happens when. You just have a general idea of, like, these happened approximately around this time in whatever order, because they're not referencing each other that much. Um, major event happens, short stories, again, all in a weird, muddy order. Major event happens, and then the third book, okay, now we have a continuous timeline. And throughput, uh, like, through plot of the entire series. It's like, okay, cool. Um, so I understand that aspect. And that does bring up, like, the whole idea of something can take an aspect of a novel of an original work and be a bad translation of that to whatever they're making. Um, however, like you said, however. they also like to do the multiple perspectives, um, which is something that the books just don't do. Um, the books are primarily about Geralt, the Witcher Geralt of Rivia, the White Wolf, um, my man, the boy. Uh, your boy. It's your boy, the Witcher. <laughs> and what they decide to do is they... what? what uh, th my big gripe with it is that they end up following the three main characters, Geralt, Ciri, and Yennefer, in, honestly, a relatively even amount of time. Um, however, what this ends up doing, though, is... Geralt, by the time that this story starts, is not facing a lot of character growth. It's adapting these short stories where it's Geralt not really evolving as a character. It's just placing him in situations, facing these situations, and moving to the next town, killing the next monster. What they, tr yeah, yeah, yeah. What they try and, and do. With maidens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then what? Some grass, there's... getting with maidens, mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. and then petting roach. And then what they do is, is then they try to, at the same time, explain the backgrounds of characters like Yennefer and like Ciri and trying to show like what it is they're all going through before they ever meet Geralt. And what it ends up doing is, is you're placing all of the character growth and development that's happening in the story on these two characters that aren't even the main characters of the story which ends up leading to them feeling more like the main characters of the story. Uh, the Witcher season one, it feels much more like it is in particular Yennefer's TV series, not Geralt's. Um, and that for, with that, yeah. that for me, it just kind of <laughs> rubbed me the wrong way after reading the book, like rereading the books um, again. And just like, like I understand it. You want to, you want to make us more invested in Yennefer and you got a limited amount of time to do it. I understand it. 
don't like it. <laughs> and I like I like the idea of just kind of like for me, I think some of the best fantasy stories are when you throw a you throw the audience just into the middle of this world and just tell them, all right, cool. Use context clues and pick up the pieces to form what you know about this world. Uh, not like, hey, we're going to show you the backstory of these main characters that never actually was talked about or like was part of the story. So that way you have a better understanding of these characters and the world. It's like, it's not how people didn't grow attached to this world and these stories because we went, we saw Yennefer's perspective of going through her sorceress training. Right. We didn't grow attached to these characters in this world because we saw Siri trying to find her way through, like after the slaughtering, of, slaughtering her of her her family and her friends and the desolation of her family's Trump. kingdom. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> not that one. Yeah. And for me, it, a lot of it is just like it comes down to... Um, just trying to trying to take ideas from other successful series and throw it into a series that just, it doesn't make sense for him. Um, And another part of Hollywoodification is stealing, stealing ideas, (laughs) taking ideas from other things that were successful and trying to make it into your own to make your own stuff successful, Uh, which is fine. All of the best artists steal, um I'm Alex Steele. Yeah. Uh but the the whole important part of like stealing art to make it your own is you got to make it your own. You got to you got to do something different enough with it to make it actually work for what you're trying to do in a different enough way. Um So that's really the like the main issue of season 1. Um To kind of go along with that though is like they kind of they they throw a lot of bullshit in there that just doesn't exist. Um like Geralt meets Siri very early on. The it happens person? at the end. Of, uh, basically, yeah, sure. Um, okay. So Geralt meets Siri at the end of last episode of season one, which relatively in terms of like the TV series is fine. Like, yeah, that yep. makes sense. Um, but as far as like timing wise in the books, especially taking into account what all they cover in season two makes zero fucking sense. Um, the whole idea of like following Yennefer through the Battle of Sodden, where she and the other sorcesses are trying to fight the armies of um, fight fight the other the the black armies of Nilfheim, Nilfgaard Nilfgaard that's the Nilfgaard, one yep. yeah I was like Nilfheim no that's 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 Norse mythology Nilfgaard um, and yeah you see some of that and it's like yeah that's cool that's a big action scene everyone ends on this really big bombastic note uh, for this for the end of season one. Uh, Yennefer uses the forbidden fire magic and the last we see of her, it looks like she just vaporizes and is burned to cinders uh, for using up all of her magical essence. She did. You get to season two, though. Season two. uh, Oh, boy. This is where shit really started to fucking piss me off. Um, (laughs) So is this the final step? Have we made no, it? No, 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 no. Uh, the last one is going to be a very quick, because I feel like everyone at this point will understand the last one. Gotcha. Um, we get to season two, and almost the entirety of the first few episodes especially are, are following Yennefer, and they yep. completely add in this entire aspect 
that doesn't exist in the original works of because Yennefer used up all of her uh all of her like used the forbidden like fire magic she used up all of her available magical essence or mana or k it's chaos yeah which is fucking stupid because you don't even follow the lore of the goddamn books the lore of the world that you're existing in they spend half of season one explaining harnessing the chaos of the world around you and then they jump right into season one of like oh actually she ran out of chaos she can't she can't do it anymore it's like violates the whole idea of like they're not the ones who have chaos they're harnessing the chaos around them but it doesn't even like yeah that was the other thing is like they brought that into like and then you don't even see her really use it for the rest of the time. Like when she's doing stuff. Yeah. So. Well, it's, it's one of those things like it really has like, it has, a, it has a huge impact on her character in the TV show. That aspect of her character just doesn't even exist in the books or, or the video games. Um, because it's not the entire plot point of her character in season two just doesn't exist in any other adaptation. Um, and to go along with that, it just kind of like takes away from all the other cool shit that is happening when it comes to Geralt and Siri. It's like they're going through some actual really cool stuff. Like Geralt has taken Siri back to the place where all the witchers go, Kermoran, uh, that it's like where their home is, and is training her on how to be a witcher, which is a very hard process. And like that part, that's all really cool. The first episode of season two covers my favorite short story. And this is why I said the timeline gets all fucked up because uh, the first, my favorite story of the first book is when uh, Geralt meets Nivellen uh, in his castle. And um, that whole story, if you watch the, go watch the Witcher series, it's watch it before reading the books. You'll enjoy it more. Um, it's a great story. It's a great part of it. But in the books, that is the second chapter of the entire series and Geralt doesn't even know who the fuck Siri is at that point, but he has Siri with him in the Netflix series. Um, castle already. Yeah. yeah. Um, crazy, but yeah. And so there's just, these are just two examples of like really weird things that the Netflix adaptation did okay. that. So, and th- th- I just want to point out too, real quick. Yeah. These aspects are also completely ignoring the fact that the actual Netflix series, just the writing is not that great. Like it's, it's, it, Netflix, man. it's a Netflix it? series. I mean, it's generally enjoyable. It's like a very like diet fantasy series. It's more about the action, the romantic drama. Watch. It's a very yeah. easy series to watch. You don't have to get that invested into the world and the lore. It's like some, you just turn it on before you go into bed. You can watch it through. As a big fan of the books, that's a disappointing take on it because I want something that dives real fucking heavy into the themes, into the ideas. The entire point of the first two books is about a man who spits in the face of destiny and the repercussions that that creates within the world. They only talk about destiny probably like two or three times in the first say, entire two seasons. It comes up like maybe once in the first season when you get flashbacks. Yeah. And like maybe another time, like finally in the second season. And then. Yeah. Yeah. It's like basically like, like, okay, the main themes of the first two books that we're adapting from. Mm, no. Uh, let's talk about Yennefer and her struggles in becoming a sorceress and her wanting to have a baby. 
It's like, that's cool and all. Her wanting to be a mother is an incredibly important part of her character. It's just like, we can, we can just show Yennefer as this powerful person, this powerful character with these motivations. We don't have to dive through her whole backstory and take up all of this space that could have been used for the actual story. Um, so for developing, uh, the, you know, for developing these aspects of the character that just aren't fundamentally important, uh, yeah. because at the end of the day, like we still understand who Yennefer is the Yennefer we meet at the end of season one is still a very complex character. Well, it's not, it is a very easy to understand character who has complexities to her, but the complexities are not they, necessary. <laughs> they could have brought her in, honestly, at the when she was at the manor. Yeah. And that would have been perfectly fine. And then you could do flashbacks from her like past or whatever. Or you can get more pat like Or you can do what the books do and talk about how uh how her and Geralt have formed this like on and off relationship and it's these other characters who know the both of them being like when the fucker like yeah. how, like Yennefer's pissed at you. Where have you been? Like, <laughs> yeah, with uh, what's his name, the Bard, uh, Yaskier. Yaskier. That's yeah, one. Well, that's one of the other yeah. things that's weird. In the books, his name is Dandelion, but Yaskier's a much better name. That's one thing the adaptations yeah. did right. Um, uh, Dandelion. Yeah. They uh, get some points. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so that that kind of is like my big issues with the Witcher series, and uh, that is like it's still a decent fantasy series it feels uncomfortable to watch as a big fan of the books just because it gets it does so much of its own stuff hats off to um to to henry cavill who absolutely fucking carries the show yeah um that man has a passion for his nerd shit that's on another level and you can tell how much he respects the work and respects the character of Geralt while he's performing it while it feels like everyone else is kind of phoning it in um he does an incredible job to the point where even the original author is like, like if any of you need a picture of what Geralt is supposed to be, look at Henry Cavill's adaptation because he did an incredible job at it. Um, Again, so at least they did points. something right. Yeah. At least they did some stuff, right? Now let's take a look at one of the most controversial fantasy adaptations uh, that we've had in the last few years. Um, Oh, it's not the uh, the cartoon version of Legend of Zelda. No, no, something that it caused isn't the ending to, to Game of Thrones, is it? Oh boy, yes, it is. Oh, <laughs> something that has caused immense pain and anger across the entire spectrum of nerd fandom. Pain. Uh, and we'll also talk a little bit about the damage it's done across the entire genre. Um, so. I just want to say this first off. I, I fucking loved Game of Thrones. The first four seasons, especially of Game of Thrones, are a chef's kiss perfect adaptation of the books. It's not... They don't cover all the stuff. In fact, I think they do a good job at not covering all the stuff. George R. R. Martin sometimes is a really shitty writer, uh, and he likes to just talk about a lot of unnecessary shit for his own... I don't know, just for himself that just doesn't really have a huge effect on the, on the actual overarching story, um, which is fine, but it, eh, I can take it or leave it. Um, so this series, my wife actually read through multiple times. My and wife. Has an obsession. <laughs> so she didn't, so she didn't 
she did not finish the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Just yeah, as a, but she did finish. Yeah, what's I, the books that are out there? Yeah, the Song of Ice and Fire series. Yeah, it's great. It's good. It, no, I prefer. I would much rather read about the bark of a tree for three pages than read for two <laughs> paragraphs about the way that shit feels on someone's face because they fell into it. Um, <laughs> I'd much rather read about trees than shit. Um, Fair. The thing is, though, is like the books themselves do have a really big following and there's very specific parts about it that are really good. They're great fantasy medieval inspired, um, political dramas and character dramas. You have these, the whole idea of having multiple character perspectives. I mean, it's not new by any means, but having dedicated chapters to following specific characters, perspectives across an entire continent, all following their own individual events, meeting their own people, and then seeing how those different paths cross across the entire spectrum of the story is a really fucking cool concept. And the TV series did a really good job of that, especially for the first four seasons. But then we get to the later seasons of this. And they got bored. <laughs> no, they didn't get bored. They got greedy. Um, greedy yeah um the so the the two original writers um producers of the show um they got the job by uh by essentially having a like hollywood was looking to uh to adapt the series for a while um but uh, they couldn't find anyone that George R. R. Martin would sign off on because his one stipulation was like, you already have to be a fan of the books. Um, you, are, you already have to be a fan yeah. of the books. And by being a fan of the books, the only way that you can get this job is by telling me about this one very important, guessing the outcome of this very important plot point. Um, this you have was to tell me how to finish my book basically saying like and then i still won't finish it yeah it's like you need to tell me how you think i'm gonna finish this book and if you guess right then yes you get to be the producers and it was uh david benoff and db weiss they guessed right they got the series okay cool they're big fans that's awesome generally that means that they are going to do a good job however as they got further and further on uh, and this is where we can maybe say, like, technically not an adaptation because George R. R. Martin is a uh, he is the physical embodiment of the metaphysical concept of procrastination. Um, wasn't making it too much progress on his books. Um, and so they had to start trying to, like, take the ideas that they knew about how this story was supposed to finish and adapt those to the TV series. Um, but what was it about Game of Thrones that people loved? They loved the character dramas. They loved how visceral the show was. It wasn't afraid to show gore and be a what felt like a more grounded, realistic uh, 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 showing of what a political medieval drama would look like. It's going to show like, yeah, the men in the show are all fucking sick, like, like almost like either pedophiles or rapists or like there's with only like one or few like like two to three like actual good guys within this everyone else is a piece of shit looking out for themselves 
um, all the women are like manipulative and conniving or they're innocent and you see their innocence be taken away from them. You see like all of the revolting parts of what this like what we would think that this time period would look like. Granted, it's a fantasy series, not an actual time period, but based off of like the War of the Roses that took place in the medieval times. Um, so there are links to our own time. Uh, but yeah, it's like it was just a generally really interesting concept to see these characters play out in these different series, these different perspectives and see them all come together and grow. Um, we get to the last few seasons of it where they're doing their own adaptations upon their own expectations of how the show is supposed to end. And God, they just got so fucking lazy. And I said it was for greed and it's because, uh, the writers by the time that the, um, last two seasons were ending, they got a deal to write and produce for Star Wars, a new Star Wars TV series where Disney was offering them millions upon millions of dollars to do this. They've got like, there's a difference between HBO money and Disney money. Uh, They got Disney money. And, but the stipulation was, is they couldn't really work on anything else and dedicate that time that they could put towards something like Game of Thrones until they were done with Game of Thrones. So what did they do instead of, you know, being like, you know what? This is a series that we're big fans of. We've been working on this for like 15 years at this point. Like, let's let's take this to its completion. We owe it to all the people that like all the fans that we've inspired and that we've grown naturally through this. All of the actors that have dedicated a decade of their lives to this one series um all these people are super invested like let's finish this out and let's go off on a bang let's do a good job of it they're like no this doesn't sound like a good idea to me <laughs> that sounds pretty expensive and I want that disney money generally i Give i'm not me, generally i'm not one to attribute uh mal intent upon people you can go back and look at my cyberpunk uh my cyberpunk episode I like I think it's a shit game, but I defend those developers like tooth and nail. I completely understand where they're coming from and I can completely understand why someone would make a bad game in that situation. I don't think anyone besides the board members had malintent. I think David Benoff and DB Weiss had straight up malintent upon this series because they wanted to wipe their hands clean from it to make more money from Disney. Uh, And the perfect examples of this are the way that they attribute specific parts of the series towards the end um with one of my favorite examples of this being um when they are traveling from uh the place where they get all the dragon glass to um to king's landing uh or yeah to king's landing or to uh the the place in the north winterfell traveling to winterfell i was like they are flying over the sea with Daenerys on her dragon. One of her dragons has already been taken out from the wall um, by the, the Night King. Um, she's got her two left. Uh, they're her two babies, things she cares about the most. Um, she's traveling. She's got all of her own ships below her with Jon Snow and like all of his companions. Her and cousin. yeah, her, yeah. Her, not her nephew, not her cousin. Yeah, her sorry. nephew. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden, um, the 
the fleet of the enemies uh, shows up out of fucking nowhere and it's introduced not by seeing them come over the horizon this this like giant armada of ships that essentially blackens the sea wherever it moves uh and then engaging in combat no out of nowhere you just see a fucking spear be launched from a ship through one of her dragons and everyone's just like what 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 the fuck what's that and then they turn their heads to the left and it's like thousands of ships (laughs) just like the logistics behind that are just like, yeah, it makes no sense. Um, but then you get to like, like I can understand that coming from like bad writing, like the idea of bad writing, but then you get to what I think really shone a light on the, on David Benoff and DB Weiss being just bad adapters and bad writers, uh, which they would do shows after the airing of the original episodes when they were a premiere, where they would talk about the actual episode for like 30 minutes to an hour and when it came to talking about that, they were straight up like, oh, yeah, Daenerys just kind of forgot that they had those ships. Like, they just, they just forgot. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like, yeah. Yeah, she did. She did? Did she? Did she? Is that what happened? Does that explain why she didn't see any of this shit? Does that explain why she was so thrown off and just completely, like, she, yeah, she just forgot that they had, like, a giant naval brigade to come and just like basically tank all of their ships and sink do, all of them. Do you guys feel good about how that went? As the writers, do you guys yeah. feel good about how that went down? And do yeah, it's it's not good. That's one thing that happened in the show that I think like really shows how bad it was. Besides the entirety of the last few, the last like two episodes where Daenerys, you mean how it just skipped time very very quickly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just going point to point, like it was just like there's that. There's the fact that there was no actual character build up to Daenerys going as crazy as she did. Uh, the entire character of Jamie Lannister being about how him. Like, towards the end of it, it's about him finding who he is as himself away from his sister specifically. Um, it's about him finding out, like, who he really is. Last two episodes, he's they straight up are just like, actually, fuck that. I want to go be with my sister. Cool. And just throwing throwing away, like, 10, 10 years of character development. Um, but really what it all comes down to is, and this is kind of like what attributes to these feelings of things skipping around the place. There being no character development, having to make up excuses like, um, like, Oh, like Daenerys just forgot. Um, the last season of game of Thrones, uh, was a shortened season. Um, let me bring it up here. Uh, cause I forgot how many episodes there were, um, in the last season. I swear there was like eight or nine. There were six. There were six episodes in the last season. Um, All of the other seasons had about 10 episodes. So they cut the last season number of episodes by half. Um, Typically, when that happens, that's done for like budgetary reasons. Um, And that was the original excuse was like, oh, like we didn't want to put in the budget like that was going to be required for like the insane amount of CGI and all of this like traveling that we had to do for these different locations. It was just going to cost us a lot of money. What we find out, though, was that HBO had offered to uh, to the producers and the writers a full season. 
they offered it to them from the get-go it's like we will this is the most successful show in the world right now we will pay you whatever amount of money you need to give this the good ending that you want it to be they're like no we don't want we that don't want to though we don't want that but we don't actually want we could we, we, we could these, it's uh, like we could tell this story in like i don't know six I could episodes one if you'd let me yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, can we just like end this? Can we just end this shit so we can go make Disney money? We're gonna go make Disney um, money. Is that okay? Is that okay? And okay, I'm curious as to what episode or what uh, TV series they did for Disney. I'm just yeah, that's a that's a very good question. Um, I can't tell you because they got fired <laughs> from wow. the show. They got fired from being the writers and producers of this this Star Wars show. Was it? Because it they they completely canned the entire series midway through development because like they could not trust them to do a good job. Wow, and that's so the punishment good. that a bad adaptation will do for you. Be faithful to your fans, kids. Fair, but money yeah. isn't always the. Uh... It's the better thing. The, yeah, the, 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 the moral of this uh, this hour and 10-minute Aesop fable uh, is don't do shit just for money. If you care about something, do it for the other people that care about it, just like you do. The money-making aspect of it, it's just it's a side effect. It's important. I get it. But look at Lord of the Rings. Look at what that did. It's a fantastic adaptation because it's faithful to the original source and it is faithful to the fans who love it. Do that shit. Do more of that shit. They were going to make another trilogy to Star Wars. Oh, really? That's what they walked away from. Um, and they said they couldn't do it because, get this, they could not <laughs> they could not split time between Star Wars and their new Netflix series. What was the Netflix series? I don't know. I can't go all the way down this rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. But yeah. So that's it. That's my episode. Uh, find shit that you love. And if you like doing writing and producing of TV shows and you get to do it on a big scale like that, uh, be faithful. Do it. Do a good job. Uh, actually read the shit that you're adapting as a baseline um, this is a baseline yeah <laughs> go, like the least you could do go away from the the source material don't uh don't do a harry potter yeah don't do a don't, star wars don't yeah do a... i i i it's one of the things i really hope when people are adapting a beloved series that they do more effort than i do for preparing for an episode for writing for the show do more than just read the wikipedia page <laughs> ouch ouchies and our stock drops another penny <laughs> hey when we get back from this musical outro we got a uh, quick this with our special guest from last week Chloe. so we'll be right back play the music and we're back joined once again by chloe davis who has uh returned from last week's incredible episode about the muppets to do a quick this for us chloe do you have a quick this for us? Of course I do. Of course Wonderful. you do. Michael, do you have a timer? Of course I do. <laughs> of course you do. Hit us with it. Bam, go! All right, All right. so um, there's a lot of different ways I could have went with this, but 
seeing as how I just got done talking about Muppet TV, Muppet movies, I figured I should really just kind of seal the deal and talk about the Muppets in none other than Disney World, Disneyland. So, yeah, so there are some great YouTube videos. I'm not totally sure if I can plug their names here, uh, but uh, if you check out YouTube... Yeah, so uh, there's a channel called Defunct Land. Um, It's a great resource for talking about um, all things amusement park, um, things that Disney has done in the past, or Toys R Us, or Orlando Studios, or Universal, uh, things that they've done in the past that are no longer um, offered now, um, failures in the business, all those fun things. And one of those things that they've covered is uh, the Muppets taking over Disneyland. So, a quick backstory on that. In 1990, uh, the president at the time of Disney was Jack Lindquist, which was arguably one of the best marketing um, advisors to Disney before he became president. Um, So, around this time in 1990, Disney just got done celebrating their 35th anniversary. um, And the whole idea surrounding finishing out the year after the 35th anniversary celebration was, now what? You know, the characters are exhausted, you know, Mickey and Minnie, they've been working really hard, and now they need a vacation. So, who's going to take over at Disney World while they're on vacation? Hi-ho there, Kermit the Frog! (laughs) And the the Muppet crew uh, were the first to, in line, to take over the keys and take over the park. So, um, a couple of things that were... A part of the concept for the Muppet Takeover were that um, there would be two new Muppet parades, um, one of which would include like a bunch of new Muppet balloons that would be a part of the walk around, and also um, one of the motorcades. So like they would have the puppets on or the Muppets on cars, and it would be like more of an intimate way for people to see the Muppets. Uh, another thing is that they would change some of the classic Disney rides to accommodate the Muppets. So, Miss Piggy would take the place of Cleopatra in It's a Small World. Animal would be a part of uh, Pirates of the Caribbean and would be chasing, like, the damsels around in the ride. (laughs) And the Matterhorn would be painted green. Wow. wow. Yeah. Kermit green. So, that's uh, that's quite a sight. So, um... And they would have two new walk-around characters. Actually, probably more than that. But I know for sure that Kermit and Miss Piggy would actually be human-sized walk-around characters that would go through the park. Um, Which I found to be a little disturbing, as everybody knows that they are not that big. They're not that big! No. Uh, So, essentially... um, In 1990, May 16th of 1990, Jim Henson did pass away... Um, so they actually stopped work on um, the changes that they were going to make to the park, and the Henson family pulled back from the merger. Um, Disney did ultimately complete work on Muppet 3D Vision, which is now in Disneyland and Disney World. Uh, it is a permanent placeholder in the park. Um, years later, uh, the Muppets would eventually take over the Haunted Mansion ride. This was like very recently. Um, they did a very, like, special Halloween feature, and there's actually, a, like, a short special on that on Disney Plus as well, where it's, like, an actual storyline movie type thing. 
Um, but they did take over the Haunted Mansion ride for a period of time. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the Muppet takeover, and it's sad to hear that that won't actually happen. Mm. It was a really big missed opportunity. It really was. Yeah. It really was. Yeah, I would have been really excited for them to change the name of Walk Arounds to Waka Waka Rounds. Waka Waka Rounds. Nice. It's very good. It's very it's, uh, good. It's not like Disney is uh, in short supply of content, though, so. Yeah. No, not anymore. Not anymore, yeah. Muppet Star Wars? That could have uh, been a thing. It w- should have been. Uh, Muppet Wars. That, like, that sounds like a history Miss that Piggy and we can't get into. There you go. The last leg. <laughs> oh, this might be Pat's last episode. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Just kidding. Ooh. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, thank you again, Chloe, for coming on. You have a great Instagram username. I want you to say it again. <laughs> yeah, so my Instagram handle is at Hootie and the Clowfish underscores between the words. Um, it's yeah. incredible. Come find Such me. Such a good username. Thank you. It's so good. Um, Appreciate it. In case you guys didn't hear, Chloe came on last week because she went on our website, uh, www.entertainthis.net slash et-podcast and scrolled all the way to the bottom and filled out the questionnaire and suggested that we cover the Muppets. Uh, So she was invited on the show to be our guest host for the week, and you can do that too. Maybe we won't invite you on to be a guest host, but we will cover your topic. But there are another a number of other ways that you can reach out to us. One of those being you can email us at entertainthispodcast at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter. We are entertain underscore this. On Instagram, we are entertain this podcast. And on Facebook, we are podcast entertain this. And as always, entertain us so we can entertain you. And you can entertain this. We'll see you guys next Friday. Bye! Bye! Bye. This episode was written by Michael Savoya, with additional commentary by Alex Steele and Patrick Frazier. Our showrunner and resident fact-checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rush Bubble by Aaron Spencer, with interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.